This is the one with Sarah Jane Smith. Mr. Toad, the Star Wizard. The comfiest-looking suits of armor. And some of the best Venusian Aikido ever. <laughs> it's called The Time Warrior. Here, Here we, we go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Tantarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and read on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal road. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than what ho, ladies and gentlemen of podcast land, it is I, Leon, and I am in the studio today with Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Leon, Ponkin. <laughs> and we are, I am so deeply excited and aroused to, to say this, we are here to review a classic Who serial. It's been so long. It is super arousing, and I can testify how aroused <laughs> Leon is right now. We are here to talk about C-070, The Time Warrior. Which is, uh, we've been talking about this off the record already so much today. We watched it together today, ladies and gents. It is the first of so many. It's the first Sarah Jane Smith. Yeah. It's the first Sontaran. Sontaran. It's the first slash only pseudo-historical with Pertwee. And so on and so forth. New intro sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. new logo, is it? Yeah, it looks amazing. Wait, 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 hang on. Change, change, change. So many changes. But wait, speaking of so many changes, wait, 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 wait. Let's take a meta step. Jim. Hello. Welcome aboard the Classic Who Reviews. Woo-woo. Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. All aboard the Classic Train. Woo-woo. <laughs> 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 what is your experience of Classic Who? Um, the three serials I have watched <laughs> in preparation for joining this bit of the podcast. The ones immediately preceding this one, right? So, so, so two before this one and then this one itself. So three. Something, some, oh, right. Okay. So, so there's the, the Green Death, which is the one before this. And Planets of the Daleks. And Planets of the Daleks. Oh. Which was a bit of a stinker. Yeah. Planet of the Daleks, that one, that one stings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that, Green Death is cool, right? Yeah. I really enjoyed that it's one. It's great. Yeah. You're climbing aboard the Classic Who train just as one companion has left. Joe Grant, you've just seen that. And now, because like, the Doctor is almost, and the show, they're both kind of reinvented almost when there's a new companion on board, right? Yeah. Just like when there's a new Doctor. Definitely. So this is like the perfect time to, to join. The perfect time, Jim! Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. Before we jump into Beastgow, do you want to say just like high level? Did you like this one? Did you not like this one? I think I liked the entertainment value in yeah. this one. <laughs> Let's just leave it there, shall we? I'll second that one. Okay, should we jump into Beastgow? Let's. Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brew and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a nice chunk of who. Iron Gron, the magnificent medieval lord, sees a falling star which turns out to be a giant Sontaran golf ball. Out of its steps, Lynx, a Sontaran commander who offers Iron Gron an exchange of resources. Lynx will provide him with modern-ish weaponry, and Iron Gron will provide him with shelter while he repairs his golf ball. You can't repair a golf ball with a bunch of medieval brutes, though. So off Lynx plops to the 1970s to kidnap some scientists under Doc's nose, and despite Unit's expert supervision. <laughs> Doc won't stand for it, though, and together with Stowaway, Sarah Jane Smith embarks on a pseudo-historical adventure. b over. 
You are welcome. Aren't you just? <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Where do you want to start? I'm struggling with the serial concept of this because it's just like, I forgot like the first episode was just so bonkers in a way. <laughs> it's crazy. Like there's a massive introduction <laughs> of just setting up medieval, which for, for ages I was like, is he really called Iron Gron? <laughs> <laughs> is his friend Blood Axe? <laughs> is his friend Blood Axe? <laughs> and it's like, yes, yes, both of those are true. Um... <laughs> And yeah, yeah. Obviously, you get Lynx and Iron running the show for a good old while before they are. We meet, but it Doc. also it seems so weird. Like it, it, he's the Lord. It is a castle, but that intro, which is meant to set up all of that contextual stuff, it presents us with just one room. Like this could be the room <laughs> oh, yeah. from Reservoir Dogs. I've just written. Are, are there just ten bearded men sitting around on the floor? They have no furniture. Like there's nothing. It's a room and one guy. Oh, sorry. They have a table. And a bench, either side of a table. But the dudes are all sitting on the floor. They're leaning against the wall. <laughs> like it, it, he's, he's not a very generous leader. <laughs> so you have he... not earned the bench today. <laughs> uh, beard face, second. Maybe names are hard. Maybe did well with Iron Gron and Blood Axe. I couldn't come Blood up with Axe. <laughs> Everyone else has a normal name, though, right? Well, it, it's very much set up as these are a little bit more wild. Oh, yeah. And then, then they're very gentrified across the way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're like Reginald and yeah. <laughs> whatever Ed, their names are. Edward and I think it's Eleanor. Um, Eleanor? I, I believe so, because we looked her up to see if she really was Doc Cotton from East Enders, oh, right. and it turns out she is. Oh, she is? Yeah. Oh, well done. Um, for, for those that didn't spot that little trivia. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't quite understand what this setup was between the lords and like one side was with the king, the other side kept... My history is is not great because oh, I've gone about well. talking it the Norman tongue. So it's obviously a, a bit of a kind of invasionist kind of feeling and oppressing. And I, I don't know if there was meant to be more kind of in this from a historical point of view. But I, I didn't pick up on because mostly it seemed a bit jokey. Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, we all, we don't get to find out exactly where this takes place, and we don't get to find out when this takes place. It's just like medieval times. Yeah, <laughs> there are two castles. Like when Sarah... <laughs> one's the good guy's castle, one's the bad exactly. guy's castle. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> it may as well have been painted black outside. Because <laughs> um, literally, when Sarah Jane Swift turns up and she's like, uh, "Oh, it's like a Renaissance fair," or yeah. it's like a carnival, and it's like, "Yeah, it kind of is." Actually, yeah. 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 I see where you're coming from. You, Sarah you Jane end up Smith. with it thinking it's reality, but I'm not actually that convinced. <laughs> <laughs> How do you feel about Sarah Jane Smith? I think I, I kind of liked her for the most part. Yeah. Is she introduced well, do you think? Because she gets a lot of action and yeah. agency. I think it was odd because the things that her character does work out quite well. Okay. I, I think what bothered me was the fact that she just stowed away on the TARDIS because the doc left the door wide open. That's Which happened I, before, though. That was it really? Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess is maybe he's, he did it intentionally. Maybe. Because he'd, he'd already kind of clocked... He was kind of like iron her up as like, I guess, companion material because yeah. we're hoping he's not iron up in a different way. <laughs> and by the way, what a what a dick! I mean, Sexist he's well, I mean, knobhead. Yeah, but I, I think she's she does very well as a companion. You're right that yeah. it's very flimsy the way that she gets into the TARDIS, but this has happened before. It's been worse before. She even. definitely shows that she can bring something. Um, to the companion sidekick role. Yeah, and she's like more she, of a leader than the yeah, previous definitely. companions were. Oh, I, I, yeah, okay, previous. I, I, I could think of, like, New Who companions, oh, even, which, yeah. is, which is what I know more. Yeah, also, um, you're right. That have 
like Rose was pretty shit in in that regard. And <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a cliche kind of investigative reporter who's who's basically Lois Lane. But I think yeah, she's she's out there doing stuff. I think what I struggled with a little bit is when you get the scenes with uh, Rubish. I love Rubish, who is pretty cool and the doc super gels with him yeah and he should be a companion exactly so and we don't get to see sarah jane becoming a companion by the end of this which, no that's which true I, I found it i i would have thought the last episode was going to spend half of it like with them getting more of a relationship and becoming a companion at the end but no they're saving that for another time um <laughs> but in the context of this serial it's actually why would you take sarah jane and not rubish like you could flip a coin and probably choose one of the two but he i'm guessing that he will not consider that <laughs> i i'm assuming so as well um, i assume that we never get to see rubish again yeah. even though rubish would even if they don't want to have him as a companion he would make a good he would make good like unit material he could yeah, be definitely. like the q of unit you know who just shows up every now and then and helps out exactly and um a little bit like the scientist chap in that terrible tenant episode when they're on the desert planets with uh, the Sharknado. He's on a double-decker bus that gets transported to a desert planet. Oh, this is with crappy what's-her-face diamond. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, Lady, I blocked this, this from my brain, I think. <laughs> but, but in that episode, he's constantly in contact with the like, nerdy, geeky scientist of units. Okay. Maybe of Torchwood. I think it's unit, actually. And this guy could be that dude. He could be the, yeah. the only other person who's on Doc's wavelength intellectually. Well, I guess maybe they will do that. We will have to wait and see. Maybe. I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it, because he is not a woman. And as they make very clear, and as you already alluded to, there is a pretty sharp sexist element. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to talk a little bit about that one? Uh, well, <laughs> let, me, let me flip through and see if I can find some quotes that I've noted down here. Uh, well, the first thing he's, he suggests to her to make the coffee. I haven't got the exact quote there. Are you going to give me away, Doctor? I don't think so. Why not? You can make yourself useful. We need somebody around here to make the coffee. I mean, it's something to the effect of... You will just have heard the soundbite, ladies and gents, but (laughs) we're we're forced to imagine it. I mean, it's something to the effect of, why would I tell the brigadier that you're a fraud if you can stick around and make the coffee for us? Exactly. Well done. (laughs) Well done, Doc, for advancing the times. (laughs) I mean, at least he didn't just turn around and say, well, I guess if you wait long enough, we can use you to make a baby. You know... (laughs) But it's it's not much better. <laughs> it's been a while since... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say the, the absolute classic was later on, episode three, I think it was, which we alluded to just before we started recording. <laughs> which was that? Where Sarah Jane very, very... Oh, yes. ...magnanimously <laughs> admits that she could have been wrong. <laughs> and the doctor's reply... It's a generous admission, especially coming from one of the fair sex. <laughs> yeah, and, that's, that's Oh, my rough. God, 1973. I know, I know that... Can't expect much more from you, but I would expect a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit Just more. Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it has improved a little bit since Black and White Doctor Who. Okay. But not that much. Yeah. Even when they're on the moon, I think it's Polly at that point. I think she's one of the companions. Even when they're on the moon, she's the one just constantly bringing tea to the, the men. Oh, really? Yeah. Actually doing the tea yeah. run? <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At least now they just allude to it and, and Sarah Jane goes, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. 
I wanted to say about Rubish. I, I think Rubish is hilarious from the get-go, like writing on the TARDIS in oh, chalk God, yeah. and <laughs> like knocking things over. He's just like, he's this bumbly Mr. Magoo, very similar to William Hartnell's Doctor in a way. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I mean, he saves the day, basically. If it weren't for him, the Doctor would still be shackled to that weird brain uh, manipulator true. chair. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if it weren't for Rubish. And if, if the Doctor hadn't escaped to that point... No, they were coming to kidnap him anyway. I was thinking Sarah Jane grabbed the wrong end of a stick and thought Doc was helping for a while. Oh, so that's true. who knows what might have happened. Okay, here's, here's something that ticks me off about Sarah Jane's role in this. Okay, Liam, come on, get off your chest. Okay, yeah. <laughs> She's a leader. She leads the raid on the castle and all that stuff. But something that I couldn't help but notice is that despite that, because this is 1973 going on 74, she has like five wardrobe changes over the course of one raid. <laughs> uh, I don't know. She just she gains everyone's trust a little bit too easily, including when she's in the in the kitchen with all the like syphilitic wenches yeah. making gruel. Uh, she's like she points at the wall. He's like, "Oh, look, a big spider!" And like all the other women just scream. It's I mean, it's there's a caricaturistic element written by men about women. Yeah, uh, which it it really it drags down all the agency that they've given the character a little bit. Yeah, I, d- I do know what you mean. Actually, saying it then made me think of the bit in Planet of the Daleks, which I think actually you and um, Nick picked up on as well, where they literally. Uh, the doc going to Joe, reference to the female scientist lady who would I, I don't remember. Uh, but she's, she's like a little bit distraught because her husband or something has basically been an absolute arsehole to her. <laughs> okay. and, and the doc goes, oh, you're a woman, Joe, you go talk to her. And then, <laughs> then the doc oh, walks, rings a bell. Yeah, doc walks in front of both of them to talk to the man. Yeah, and, and that's the conversation and we And that's hear. the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it literally <laughs> silences the women in the background. <laughs> Um, yeah, this rings a bell. Um, yeah, so it's that kind of thing where it's it's like, oh, the the women will all get together. Like women like women, and yeah, yeah, like. But the the spider thing was ridiculous because yeah, obviously there's not a spider there, and yet they all scream. <laughs> <laughs> the mere mention of the word spider. Ah! <laughs> that said, perhaps as a means of a bit of a segue to talking about the first ever Sontaran. There is a Sontaran conversation about gender and gender roles. Yes. Which I thought was really cool. Where he goes like, oh, oh yes, that's right. You have a... Primary and secondary... Primary and secondary... Reproductive. reproductive exactly. Yeah, like whatever. That. Which is wholly inefficient. You should switch over to having just the one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cloning all the way, man. <laughs> I, I do actually like um, Sontarans. Yeah? I think. I, li- I like how they pop up in, in New Who most of the time. How do they um, compare, do you think? I think they, they've they kept the flavor of it incredibly well. And I, I think it's one of the, the rare occasions, actually, where you can look at the old Sontaran next to Sontaran. I think I might pronounce them incorrectly a lot of the time. <laughs> well, Sontaran. S- well, I mean... Sultaran? They, they are are they like a Sultana or are they like a, a Sultana? <laughs> to clarify, they are an alien race. So <laughs> like, <laughs> pronounce them however you like. Fine. <laughs> The potato heads um, <laughs> look quite similar from Old Who and New Who, I think. You they know, do. It, but it looks like what you would imagine someone modernizing it as. Whereas I think some of the others... Think of Silurians, for example. That, yeah. Because we Google image searched them before, I think. And if they, you haven't seen those serials, they look like 
fish, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they look very different anyway. I think even even Cybermen, you know, that's, that's yeah, also. quite a dramatic shift. Whereas I feel like they, they Cybermen modernized already, the armor. C- Cybermen today look like a more badass version of Cybermen in late 70s. Doctor Who, when they're no longer wearing a stocking on their heads, they're wearing like a plastic mask, yeah. like a solid mask. I mean, plastic as in it's fake metal. Okay. But yeah, I see what you're saying. They've kept a lot of the Sontarans in New Who. I mean, the reason for that is like, they work. This works. Yeah. This is a I really think... good personification of, of an entire alien military force. Because I think it works, but because the Daleks are like the the kind of poster child yeah. villain in Doctor Who. So I grew up with the end of Sylvester McCoy. Okay. And didn't really kind of think much of the Daleks, to be honest. Okay. I don't even know if I remember seeing the episodes with... They do tons of Dalek stuff with Sylvester McCoy, right? Uh, aren't I there Sylvester McCoy... I, I've ne- okay, I should say, I've never seen a single Sylvester McCoy serial. I generally don't remember it that well. But I think as a child, I was always like... Daleks are shit. Like, why don't they beat the Daleks all the time? Because they, they can't, can't go climb on stairs. And, and, yeah. I mean, we've seen it in but some they episodes where they just spin them around. and Yeah. Like, they, they just seem really pathetic. Oh, there are, like, prior Pertwee serials where he literally just... if You can ambush a Dalek by coming up, stepping up behind it and, like, throwing a blanket over yeah. it or something. But, Whereas this seems... It's a more thought out, like proper kind of like, if you wanted to strip back war, you would create the perfect soldier and it would be determined to be a soldier. And I don't know, it, the Dalek idea of just being evil and wanting to obliterate everything is just co- so kind of like comic book laughable. Yeah. Whereas I think... Yeah, it's it's the comic book thing of like, I want to take over the world. Oh, <laughs> why? <laughs> and then what? Yeah. <laughs> to enforce my tax policies, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. Whereas, I guess it's because they've been dropped down a level. Like, they they are just... Oh, they're more realistic. Kind of in, in a, yeah. yeah. I mean, realistic, uh, quote-unquote. Yeah. But it, they're also possibly a more satirical take on a military power. Yeah. Like when he shows up, when he climbs out of the golf ball and he has that the most pathetic flag ceremony ever, <laughs> which is just, it's such a, little, a gorgeous a little, scene. A little two flags go, <laughs> bing! Flicks out. I love that scene. <laughs> and that he's just amazing. like alone, declaring, <laughs> I now claim this planet for the Suntaran Empire. Give me shelter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's a social critical element to that scene that I don't think that you find in the Daleks, ironically. The Daleks are there not to satirize Nazism, but to almost... It's more of an allegory than a satire. Yeah. It's just pointing at it. It's like, that was shit. Let's not do yeah, exactly. that. These things are shit. Yeah. Now, imagine right. if Nazis came from outer space and they yeah. lived in tanks, you know? Yeah, th- this is cleverer. Yeah, I would agree with that. Which I guess, you know, goes back to what you were saying about the comment on um, the, the gendering. Yeah. Because it's, it's like... It's talking about efficiency, and it's, it's like I don't know. Maybe that's not really social commentary, but you get that that is what a potato head would talk about. Yeah, and exactly. Like, <laughs> I, I think I think that's quite a trick actually to have an alien that you've only seen for I don't know five minutes every episode in a four part serial, and you know what their kind of motivation is. It's believable and it's consistent. I, I think that's yeah, that's pretty well done. I agree. Can I just and, point- oh, sorry. Go ahead. And they use golf balls for spaceships. I mean, come on. <laughs> I just, I'm just imagining back on the home planet, someone's just going, Four! <laughs> but probably not. 
you know how in let's say fire alarms in office buildings or like maybe the exit door thing on an airplane there's always like a little plastic thing over the switch so oh, that yeah. you don't accidentally bump against it in case stuff. of emergency lift like, lid exactly yeah why don't the centaurans put one of those on their like <laughs> neck anus <laughs> What did he... Oh, he described it, and I wrote it down. Uh, yeah, he called it a... A pubic vent. Oh, sorry, not pubic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it might be a, a probic vent. A I'm probic sorry. vent, yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> pubic vent. That's his Achilles heel. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's quite pronounced. It's very pronounced. Yeah. To the point where we turn to each other watching it. It's like, oh, it's that. The, hey, thing, yeah. the oh. thing, thing that you can knock a salt iron out. <laughs> I said it again, salt iron. <laughs> Sultana. Uh, well, let's just go, uh, go with Sultana. Yeah. How did you feel about special effects and stuff? It's being your, your third classic serial. They did probably sidestep most of it because they just kept it a little bit simple. My complaint would be more in the wardrobe department, probably. Okay. As we oh. alluded to in, tr- in the um, introduction. So you're thinking of the robot, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the robot. <laughs> the robot that's meant to look like an animated suit of armor. That comes more of like shell suit. <laughs> if, if people in podcast don't know the reference to that, but. or a bomber jacket, or you know, it it looked like fabric <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's been sewn into patches. Not a nice bit of metal that is going to be quite hefty and threatening and protective. Yeah, sure. But then the, it it also suffered from that other malaise that unfortunately low budget outfits suffer from in in monster movies where the torso is abnormally long and very clearly shoulders are still going on where the head is, <laughs> the head the actor's head is. Yeah. So that's a fake head up there and you just know it's going to be decapitated at some point. It does suffer from that. But it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, like it has a little a remote control that somehow Iron Gron can manipulate. Yeah. <laughs> and all it does is like chop. It's like the slowest moving chopping <laughs> robot. It would be useless in a fight. And Iron Gron even says like, this is an undefeatable robot. And then he defeats it by I, decapitating it. I have serious issues with <laughs> Lynx's side of this exchange. And Iron Gron's, uh, I don't know, roller coaster ride of whether it's amazing, like what he's been given. Or, oh my god, this is a piece of shit. And then, like, amazing, I've been given more of these things. Oh no, they're still pieces of shit. (laughs) We don't know how to shoot these. Look, the doctor is running in front of us 10 feet away and we can't hit him. I could have stabbed him with a sword 20 times over by now. It's like. That scene is amazing, by the way. But do you think that Lynx on his home planet, you know, he's a small business owner, he's, <laughs> he's trying to set up his robot night business, and so that's why he's so, because he doesn't have to, like, Iron Gron doesn't want him to make no. more robots, but Lynx is still in season, like, I'm going to try to improve yeah, upon this yeah. prototype, like, I really want to flog these robots, <laughs> tell your friends, here's my business card. <laughs> oh... <laughs> I'm, I'm picturing the chopping action in, in my head. It just add again and again. But you're right, then that all other scene that you mentioned, the firing squad scene. Yeah. That is the most pathetic firing squad scene I've ever seen. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen of Podcast Land, we're kind of assuming that you have seen this here, and if you haven't, then apologies, but spoilers. So th- there's a scene where there are, what, five of them, maybe six? In, in that area, yeah. Yeah, five or six medieval chaps with rifles, old-timey rifles, but very new-timey for medieval times. Yeah who are training their rifles at the doctor who is maybe four meters away from them. And this is a scene that goes on for maybe two minutes and they fire and fire and just keep on missing while he's dodging bullets. 
And he's, he's not dodging bullets like Neo in The Matrix. No. He's dodging bullets by ducking quickly. <laughs> like, what, what really got me, though, is the first one, and I'm pretty sure Pertwee must have been standing off his mark or something, because yeah. it's seriously close. Oh, it's super close. Like, kind of looks like... Cause I'm, I'm he's guessing, surprised. Yeah, I'm guessing um, <laughs> it's one of those things where it actually kind of went from the other side of the the surface behind him. Oh, like, you're right. Obviously, someone's not shooting at him. It's, but, he got a splinter from but that But yeah, that was kind of like just over his right shoulder that the dad's like whoa hang on what the fuck guys guys i'm right here help and safety come on but then yeah the rest of it no one's even close but that then also culminates in the best chandelier escape scene ever best in funniest (laughs) literally any of those six people could have stood in the way and he would have just gone flop (laughs) it's like oh yeah i can't get away now sorry oh you got you stood between me and the door damn it damn this is the one thing that i was counting on not happening when you're designing a medieval castle as well is it is it a prerequisite you have to have a chandelier that you never use that's just tied up in a corner somewhere which when you lower it is only about 10 feet off the ground and so would be really a real fire risk Yeah. yeah that's one prerequisite and another is that you have one of those bars on the doors on the outside of the doors oh, to yeah. the main hall so that you can lock people in relative luxury yeah of course wait how do they get out of there because they bar the door pretty seriously the chandelier's know. out of there <laughs> yeah the chandelier's out <laughs> It's my new mode of transport, by the way. I'm chandeliering to work today. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have no idea. I guess there are windows they can climb up. Fair. <laughs> it's not dwelled upon. I kind of want to go back to the start, because okay. scientists are just disappearing. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Shall oh, we talk about the concept behind well, the show? Yeah. I don't it. know if I want to dwell on it too long, because <laughs> they don't bother dwelling on it that much, really. Like, Una is involved yeah. for about 30 seconds. You know, in this serial. But yeah, scientists are disappearing. Yep. They've managed to work out a pattern, I guess, because they've decided to bring them all together and protect them. Is that what they're doing? I thought they were showing up in a new place. The doctor doesn't seem to know that scientists are disappearing. No, I'm not even sure why the doctor's there at this point. No, he's just hanging out. I mean, his TARDIS is there. They have transported his TARDIS there. Or he's gone there in his TARDIS. And the brigadier just goes like, oh, by the way, scientists have been disappearing. He's like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, That makes no sense. We're here on a completely separate mission that we're ignoring this week, you know? Yeah, that's very true. But the brigadier has those little mini offices. He set up those little... (laughs) (laughs) I don't... Like, as soon as they they did the shot where it's... I can see the top of this... Yeah, this, this isn't this wall of the cubicle. Like, yeah. am I meant to be seeing this? Is this is this stage lighting above this? I <laughs> I think you are meant to be seeing it. Yeah, and because it's, it's like a temporary thing that he's that unit has set up. But yeah, and then he go, he goes on to describe like, which is why we put them in these cubicles. Like, he's yeah. he's kind of like saying these are like the safest things in the world. It's like these are state of the art scientist cubicles. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, if I'm a wolf, I could blow that down. You know. <laughs> There's a reason we use brick and, and metal these days, you know, and even in the 70s. It's like, that's not sturdy stuff. No, it's <laughs> absolutely not. You're already in a building as well. Like, why just put them in a little cubicle help? Apart, apart from giving us a scene where someone's behind a door and we don't know which one's gone. It's, it's literally it's about to give us the Monty Hall problem. It's like, there's a goat behind that door and that door. And they're like, what? It's just... 
I don't understand but, who but, thought that that setup. But they've also they've been keeping Rubish, for example, locked up in that cubicle yeah. for like three or four days. He's not been allowed to leave the cubicle to go and see his family. Well, well, sorry, to leave the compound. He's yeah, he's sleeping in the compound. In, he's been sleeping yeah. in the cubicle. I, I don't. I That's don't ridiculous. Know. Yeah. <laughs> why is that cubicle? Why are their cubicles just next to each other? Do you think like, the cubicles why not, have roofs? I. If they do, I don't understand why. Because <laughs> they've literally just fabricated three sides of a room in a room and it's just <laughs> just put them in a hotel okay i've got another question for you S- a similar topic though so as you said scientists have been disappearing yeah spoiler alert towards the end the scientists are returned rubish controls the little gadget that returns them yeah you just do this this and this are they returned to their respective times when they were taken out of their timelines or are they returned to when exactly well, I... And where did they materialise? I took it that there's a line that Link says saying he basically, the furthest he could go was to the 20th century. Yeah. And I took that to be, it was literally whatever day it is in 1973. He pushed his technology as far forward as it would go. And it literally hit that day. And that's when he started taking everyone from. So that means that every time that he goes back to the 1970s, he goes to the same day? Well, plus, in that ca- plus the time that's... A, oh, uh, that's possible. Yeah, so I guess that's why it's over a few days. It's like he's crashed and he's got a few days in medieval land and okay. like every day he takes a scientist or two. So does that mean that when... I, I, I realise this is probably a moot point, but like, does this realise that when... Does this mean that when they're returned, the, the first one who's, who was taken, he will have been gone, quote-unquote, for a couple of days maybe or something like that? I guess so, yeah. So it's, it's not that everyone is returned to their exact times, in which case, why would the Doctor have left in the first place? Or is it that they all appear in 1974 at, you know, at the same time, basically, and uh, everyone's just super confused because they've been gone? Uh, you know what? I didn't really dwell much on <laughs> thought on this, so um, i just thinking now that I, I would assume that, yeah, they all just went back to the same spot okay. together, which would be like five days on for some, four days on for others, I guess. Uh, I guess that makes sense. I don't know. Like, the only reason I'm guessing the doc didn't take him out of the TARDIS at this point is because that was a bit of a track away, but... But that makes no sense to me, because that was one of my notes as well, that why doesn't he just use the TARDIS? I think, He's, I think he probably could have done. But, there's time yeah. pressure. Yeah. Is it that he doesn't want to have strangers in his TARDIS? They have to leave the castle anyway. Yeah, they might have muck on their shoes. Ugh. Ugh. Gross. Medieval muck. It's like, you, you go that way round. We'll go, we'll go in the nice pretty TARDIS. Oh, okay. I Which know. is actually a bit gruff, gruffy itself. Yeah, that's true. Mm. It is a really dirty TARDIS. Yeah. So dirty, in fact, that the top signs are barely legible. The Sorry, what do you mean by top signs? As in yeah. the where it says public call police box. Oh, right. Yeah. I, I think even the, the midway up. A little plaque thing is um, oh yeah pretty obscure oh, it's, as well. It's, it's yeah. a really shitty TARDIS. Yeah, yeah. clean your TARDIS, Doc. <laughs> Jesus, did we see inside the TARDIS? We don't, and we also don't really get a reaction from Sarah Jane. No, which was disappointing. There's never the oh, it's bigger on the inside thing. Fine, but there's also not a scene of her getting out of the TARDIS and just throwing up because the world doesn't <laughs> make sense to her anymore, <laughs> or even walking round. Yeah, she just goes out. She says something like, oh, it's still a police box. Yeah. But she also doesn't go, oh, but I'm not in, like, the unit building anymore. I'm in a forest. She doesn't seem to react to that. When she goes, like, oh, this is a tourist place, she doesn't go, this is a tourist place. How the shit did I get here? No. 
I, I, I think I was very underwhelmed with how Sarah Jane gets her first adventure. Yeah. The setup of it. Like, I think she, she evolves as a character kind of through it. But and as a, like that character's first adventure ring, great. Yeah. But the fact that she's introduced to an alien and is kind of blasé about it. Yeah. I'd, like, I, I don't need every companion to have the same reaction. And I, Agreed. But I want them to have... Some reaction? Yeah. Like I mean, if a you big, were... A big reaction of some kind. You know, if, if someone just played a joke on me and, you know, shut the door and... Yeah. They've put up a fake set around me or, you know... Yeah, exactly. There, there'll be some kind of... Am I being punked? Testing... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Which I think I think 70s actually did a lot of... Um, uh, hidden camera hidden stuff? Hidden camera stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Maybe, maybe it was a bit later, but... Like, I feel like this wouldn't have been a new concept for them to explore if they wanted to. No, I I, uh, I agree. I, I've made a note to say I love how Sarah Jane says medieval, by the way. Oh, I didn't really register it. Is it how did she say it? Yeah, medi, oh, med- medieval. Me- medi- oh, I can't, I, can't, I can't do it. You know what? Soundbite. A medieval castle. It oh, just yeah, sounded really... Yeah, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> it sounded very sophisticated to me at the time, but maybe I'm misremembering. Maybe yeah. it's just... Maybe she mispronounces it. Or maybe I'm misremembering and she pronounces it completely normally. Well, she, she is a journalist, you know. Oh, yeah. oh yes. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. What you said before, it kind of resonated with regard to something else. Uh, you said the Doctor didn't want them to bring any muck into the TARDIS. Yeah. There's a scene where the Doctor, in order to get into Lynx's laboratory, basically, he, John McLean's in from the ceiling. Let's just take a moment to appreciate the fact that they didn't have indoor plumbing back in those days. <laughs> so that's number one. <laughs> but number two, that is clearly a, a sort of sewer system that he is in there are weird stains on it when he climbs off i mean they've painted it on obviously it's solid but it's meant to look like some vile fluid has coursed through this system that he's climbing through i did not register this in the slightest (laughs) Uh, screenshot whoback1.com so so does this mean that doc is now covered in medieval shit uh, and yeah, but the thing is, they didn't have vents, and they didn't have a like a sewer system. They didn't have indoor plumbing that does not exist. So why would there be these modern vents? It's clearly just a modern office set that they've then dressed up with some like rock paint. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't really remember him going through. There's the a great. crawling. Thing. I remember the grate because yeah. the grate grated on me. Yeah, um, <laughs> purely because. You know, when you're building a castle, yeah, it's built to last, really. Like, you know, there are castles still standing today yeah. because you had to build them pretty sturdily. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if you build a bit of iron in amongst your rock, it kind of fits in the rock <laughs> and doesn't move. And then the doctor just goes, boink! <laughs> it's like, I, I forgive that in a lot of films where they're going through the um, the air ducts or whatever, and it's just some flimsy little... Office building, yeah, whatever. It's yeah, it's like, that's fine. Like, you can punch your fist through those things and, you know... Certainly. But a big iron grate. <laughs> like, welded into rock. Well, not welded, you know. Yeah, I hadn't quite realised that he had been crawling through shit up to that point. Well, I think so. I yeah. mean, even if it's not uh, a sewer, even if it's not plumbing, then it's a vent. He is John McLeaning through vents, but yeah. they did not have vents. No. I guess they might houses. have had a medieval garbage chute. I don't know why I've said garbage. Really? I don't know. Maybe they keep pigs down there normally, and they they throw the rotten... But this is a horizontal fruit. thing. This was more like an aqueduct. It was a bit sort of. Like, it, it wasn't a yeah. chute. 
I mean, you're not seeing, like, the, the wench on the top floor of the castle tie a bin bag and throw it into a chute <laughs> and it just, like, rolls down the thing. No. <laughs> but good use of wench because it's very appropriate for this episode. Oh, yes. that's <laughs> how most of the women are referred to. <laughs> One of my notes from episode three is actually just, oh, man, poor wench. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is this where it's, bring me wine, more wench, more... <laughs> That's probably it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have to say, actually, I quite enjoyed the acting through most of this. Oh, so did I. Like, it's it's a little bit hammy, but... Um, but there are some golden moments yeah. in terms of acting. Blood Axe, in particular, I think is fantastic. He's hilarious as a sidekick. <laughs> he's, he's hilarious. <laughs> I think he acted quite well for the most part. There's just one scene where he's just, like, being a bit dumbstruck where... You think actually the actor just fell asleep a little bit internally. <laughs> is, that, is that the yours is indeed a towering intelligence scene? Because that's think, a great line. I think it possibly was. <laughs> I also really like the two guards. We both laughed at this. Oh, the wow. guards outside. Yeah. When Doc and Sarah Jane pretend to be friars uh, was... to infiltrate like their little Trojan horse experiment. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. Yeah, <laughs> they just walk past, and you can tell the both of those guys that they're just like high fiving each other. Can like, did you see what I just did? <laughs> like, like, there, there was another couple of guards at the start, a unit guards that I think it was. When, oh yeah, when, when, when Rubish disappears and the doc opens the door and says, "Everyone, get out of here!" and they're they're just interrupted <laughs> from the happiest moment in their lives. They're just, just like grinning from they're here to so here. Happy. <laughs> so I know. happy. They're so pleased to be guarding that room and doing like, a great job. I don't know if it's like they expect everyone to be dead or something and he opens the door and it's just like, there's someone alive in there! Oh my god, We're doing amazing. a good job! Fred, we're doing a great job! Yeah, I know, Bill, isn't this great? I can go home and tell my mum that I'm not a worthless piece of shit anymore. I didn't kill anyone today. But that said, there's, they see that apparition of the yeah. Sontaran and then it's just, you know, unit standard. I'll shoot first, <laughs> ask questions, never. Yeah. <laughs> Now, that's a little bit I didn't actually kind of get what the technology was meant to be with, with Lynx going forward in time. Like I didn't get that either. There's a ghost projection of him, or why well, not? There's there's a projection of him that's not visible until the dock... Uses his uses. whatever gadgets. Did he so- he's not a Sonic. No. No, because yeah. you, you made a reference to... Yeah, he, there is no Sonic in this whole serial. Four mm. episodes, lots of doors opened, no Sonic. Well done, Doctor. Wow. Well done. Because he didn't have to screw in anything, that's no. why. Every, everything was already fixed and ready, <laughs> ready to swing on like a chandelier. <laughs> exactly. Now, I don't really understand the technology that's used there either, and I suspect that Sontarans in New Who, as far as I recall any, anyway, they... No, sorry, I'm going to say I don't suspect, because people are... We even actually just... I think yes, today, this morning, got another complaint about how we <laughs> we don't know enough about Doctor Who. <laughs> if you're listening to this for in-depth knowledge on Doctor Who, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're just here to have fun. But uh, yeah, Exactly. And, you know, get to know the show more as, oh, as exactly. we go along. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, some Torrens in New Who... They have not mastered time travel and time manipulation, right? I'm never quite sure what the hell happens in New Who, because the same enemies, allies, whatever, crop up in different time periods. That's true. But but that's fine. I think it was the... I forgot the name of the episode, but the Stonehenge one, where it was very confusing as to whether all of these races of aliens actually have time travel to be there at that point in human history. Because basically everyone turns up... (laughs) That's a super good point. Um, so I, I, I kind of feel like, and I don't, I don't suspect that's what's happening here, but I kind of feel like by the end of whatever season we're in reviewing of New Who, you kind of have to accept that all other aliens apart from humans can time travel. <laughs> I don't know. 
But was that super dangerous? There's the one with the super smart kid. Oh, the Centauran one? Yeah, he's teamed up with them. I'm not sure. But if that's not a time travel one, as far as I Is there not a little bit think so. of time travel going on there? I, can't, no, I don't think oh, so. No, is that teleportation? Yeah, maybe it's teleportation. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, you're right. It is yeah. it's teleportation. And that's just like beaming up to their ship and back. Like there's, there's nothing else in terms of teleportation yeah. there. I don't know what this technology is, really. Yeah. Maybe it'll come up again. Maybe. It seemed like it was it, it was basically another teleportation thing. Because the Doctor says, this is a... It's like a transmat whatever. But there's also a temporal component to it. Uh. He says, like, someone was dislocated from space, but also from time. Like, someone also added a time element to yeah. it. So maybe it's that... But even, okay, even if it's classic Sontaran beaming technology and this one Sontaran managed to add a time travel element to his transporter pad, that's already pretty bloody advanced and they should have already conquered the entire universe. Yeah. <laughs> or at least won the, the war they're fighting. Yeah, exactly. Against uh, the Rutans. Yes. I know. Yeah. I, uh, who I'm ha- not aware of. Well, we know? haven't encountered them yet. No, we might okay. encounter them going forward. This is the first Sontaran episode, so yeah. I, yeah, I'm not surprised that we haven't encountered the Rutans yet. But I don't remember them from anything else. They certainly don't appear in New Who, as far as I recall. Nor that I recall. But yeah, I, I, would, I would assume that when um, potato, he- potato Heads come back, um, <laughs> that there'll be more reference to the Rutans. intergalactic war that they're locked into. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah, create some Sontaran lore. That's that's brilliant stuff. So what else happened in this wonderful, blessed serial? <laughs> well, I was going to say, we have a really nice mix of technologies. So we have this lab in a medieval castle with lots of machines everywhere. There's modern work going on in a medieval setting. Yeah. Then we have, I mean, mix of technologies, quote-unquote. We have the... The rifles, the not super modern, not like Sontaran laser vape cigarettes, the, <laughs> you know, rifles, I'm going to say pre-1970s rifles, certainly looked like it. They take a while to reload those, and they seem to be single shot, so, okay. like, that's not 1970s technology. Yeah, exactly. No, they, they've got assault rifles that yeah, yeah, exactly. unit are using. So. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So, so we have these, quote-unquote, old-timey rifles, but in an even older, timier <laughs> uh, setting, Next to a lab that's super modern, next to a spaceship that is out of this world, yeah, it's a really good mix of stuff. I I, I like that as a just as having that contrast in the episodes. Did you like that Lynx had decided to just upgrade them a little bit and upgrade whom? Iron Gron and his crew. Like he didn't go here, have a laser rifle. Yeah, exactly. And he somehow managed to keep it Earth tech. As well, yeah. I, I mean, I, I took that to be that uh, the BBC had a crate of rifles <laughs> in the set next door. <laughs> yeah. But it was odd because I think it kind of went against what he was saying most of the time. He, he wa- had these old rifles and my super modern robot. Yeah, he, he kind of flip flopped whether he cared if they took over the planet or not. And then, but you know, at certain points he was saying, you know, what, I I would quite like to come back to his planet, and Iagron is ruling it yeah. uh, <laughs> like as overlord, and yeah. it's. But then he's given them shitty rifles that don't shoot straight and you know like he, he could have given them like a, a drone that just you press does everything press kill those five people there and it just comes back after it's done it and it's yeah. a job done <laughs> he could have given him his vape cigarette as well yeah that would have done the trick like uh, i get the don't arm people like to your own level so you've always got the advantage but sure. like he doesn't come anywhere close like <laughs> 
I don't know. I just, I just found it a little bit odd, and I think, I think you've hit on the explanation, but it's a little bit of a shitty one. <laughs> Could it maybe have been explained in context as, well, we don't have access to uh, sophisticated machinery to create more sophisticated weapons. We can only create like, relatively primitive earth tech I guess it could have, but they didn't. <laughs> no, they didn't. I mean, we never get to see how they make those rifles no. either. Like, well, there's not an assembly line somewhere where they make them. It's heavily implied that he makes them, like with Actually, with no true. assistance from Iron Gron and his crew. Like they they're oh, waiting so for them to right. be whipped out. So it's him down in that basement with all the modern tech that he can get his hands on to you repair will- his intergalactic spaceship and uh, everyone else is actually not there w- making weapons they're there manning his computers and whatever yeah yeah you're but, super right i had but about he, that. i mean even if you nicked a brainwash guy for five seconds to help out like it doesn't really matter it's like he's there with the technology to do what he wanted to do and he decided to make them medieval plus he didn't he didn't, <laughs> he didn't make them much more than that um i have two questions about that exact thing shoot okay question number one is the golf ball bigger on the inside because there were way more computers outside <laughs> than he could have taken out of it? I kind of feel like they made some computers. I don't know. Made some computers? Well... Like, he just made a cupboard, like a, a closet computer. I think he must have done. The, the, the time spent on blinking lights and whatever. Like, well, it, why do you empty your ship of all the stuff to... I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I assumed that... Well, actually, I don't know. Where else would he have got I have from? no idea what they were doing, uh, what they were meant to be doing. I certainly didn't understand what they were doing. Because it doesn't seem like there was much space inside that golf ball. Like, there's no. basically just a chair and a computer in there. That's basically what it is. Because uh, Santoran doesn't have... He's not going to have a bed to recline in. He's not going to have a, you know, a hammock or a living room or whatever. He's just going to have his cockpit. His cockpit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it kind of surprised it doesn't just look like a massive rocket, you know, to obliterate everything. Yeah, also true. And he's just riding it going, yeehaw! <laughs> <laughs> what do we blow up next? <laughs> um, no, I, I don't really, I don't really get what he was doing down there, where the technology came from, if he nicked it all from the ship, or if he, because I'm sure there is a reference to, it's not just the scientists that are disappearing, like some technology has been taken as well. Oh, so he's stealing computers. Maybe he has I'd, taken computers from the 70s. But then they don't really look like 70s computers because... I mean, the, the chair is a total makeshift, slapdash, medieval, you know, torture brain device. The thing that the doc is yeah. shoved into. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know either. I, don't, I feel like this might be a slight plot hole. It probably. Well, I don't know if it's a plot hole. It's just they didn't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> They didn't actually write the plot. <laughs> yeah, have. there's a hole where they should have written. <laughs> okay, question number two. When he hypnotizes people to do work for him, does he also have to coach them in everything before they start? Like, does he have to give everyone the equivalent of a physics, like a future Sontaran physics degree in order for them to then be brainless slaves? Because there are even some uh, medieval dudes in there walking around, working on computers. I feel like we see one medieval dude carrying stuff. Yeah, but if he's not, ca- if he's not building... Oh, maybe he's just building guns for him. 
I think he might just be carrying stuff. Okay, but then, <laughs> but, okay, fine. But then even so, the seventies chaps, like, does he go? Listen, seventies guys, you know nothing about my technology. Yeah, t- here's a computer from the seventies, possibly, maybe one that you just built. I don't know. It may have been in my golf ball. We are never going to find out. <laughs> Do things on it to make my my ship work again. What? What are they going to do? And also, he needs to repair his ship. It's not like, you know what? I need a firmware upgrade. I need a bunch of 70s <laughs> scientists outside my ship working on it. I would expect him to get engineers to, you know, get in and fix pipes and things in there. You know, I I sadly don't recall what he claims is the problem with the ship at all. I, I think he says he needs... Oh, I forget the exact details, but he definitely makes a mention to needing, like, computer circuitry. Yeah, and okay. I, I agree on... He lists like five things or whatever, and Nyingron goes, I have no idea what you're talking about, basically. That's straight over my head, potato guy. I'm sorry. Uh, just make me some nice guns, yeah? Um, I'm not calling you a potato guy because we don't have potatoes yet. <laughs> <laughs> Derail me then. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't, I d- I'm not quite sure if the plot really carries, carries through this serial very well. I feel like someone wanted the medieval thing. <laughs> I don't know. I, I kind of, I do kind of like the interplay between Lynx and Iron Gron. It is total comedy farce in oh, places. <laughs> I quite like Iron Gron in general. Yeah, I, I quite liked him as well. I have a piece of trivia about Iron Gron. Do you know? <laughs> Is this a piece of tri- trivia that got you super excited? Podcast and he was so excited when he stumbled across this earlier today. I was so excited. It's true. <laughs> I really hope it lives up to it. I, oh, no, I've built it up too much. <laughs> so, do you feel like maybe, maybe any other actors could have played Iron Gron and done a convincing job? <laughs> um, yes. I'm sure you can tell me. <laughs> So I can think of one person who would have been great, um, yeah. who was, in fact, offered the role of Iron but who turned it down. Bob Hoskins. <laughs> <laughs> what? Bob Hoskins of Smee fame <laughs> and Super Mario Brothers, <laughs> and who, who framed Roger Rabbit, was offered the role of Iron but did not accept. I'm reading this directly off uh, Todd's wiki. However, he recommended David Dacre for the role. Wow. Who I assume is the chap who then ended up. Uh, I would assume. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine good, this good with Bob Hoskins? <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, that, I mean, was my, that was Bob, my great trivia. Is Bob Hoskins anyone but Bob Hoskins when he acts? So, like, I'm not quite sure no. how you could place him in medieval. Then. No, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I quite like the guy, actually. Um, like, Who Framed Roger, Roger Rabbit is an amazing film. He And he's wonderful in it. If you've not seen it, actually, for, like, a few years, watch it now. And it holds up so well. Does like it? the the job that the animation crew did is incredible. Like it blows so much CGI out of the water. It's it's it, it's amazing. It, well, it's weirdly been on. Like Miriam and I have been talking about rewatching it for about a month now. <laughs> I don't know why, but it just came up in conversation. Do it. There's there's um. It's possibly off off the DVD or something like a special feature thing. But there's there's a thing about why it's so good, and it's because the because it's a cartoon character. The animators could play with. Um, this is total tangent from Doctor yeah, yeah, Who. I apologize. No, no, go for it. Um, they can change like uh, Roger so he can be taller and shorter, and like he can stretch himself basically. So okay. every time the actors missed their eyeline mark, the animators corrected it, so it oh, always nice. looks like he's 
interacting with them and it's like properly embedded into the real world and stuff which is where so much kind of real world with cgi falls apart because they don't go to that level of of kind of like working out how to balance the two things and it does totally hold up. It's amazing. I um, I must see it again. I I, I have yeah. to. I shall. I, we 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 will. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Right. Back to the fact that Hoskins could have been could, Grant. Yeah. I could picture him as a blood axe, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he would have done Smee as blood axe. I mean, effectively, Smee in Hook is blood axe. Oh, you're referencing Hook. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that that well. Good. I've only seen it once. I don't really remember it. That is an amazing little tidbit of information. Oh, good. good. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad that it lived up to it. <laughs> but real Iron Gron did well with that role, I think. He, he did, yeah. He grabbed it with both clenched fists. He really did. And <laughs> I, th- I think you wanted to dwell on the, the table scene? Well, the table scenes. Scenes? <laughs> oh. The, I mean, the starting scene I, I picked up on, but... Okay. <laughs> so, all right. In episode one, I wrote in my notes, what has Iron Gron got against that table? Because he just keeps hitting it with his axe he or really banging does. it with his fists. <laughs> it's like the go to test your weapon on me thing. Then in episode two, even Lynx's robot hates the table because when the robot shows up, it's like, now demonstrate how good you are. And the robot goes for the table <laughs> and starts chopping at it. Oh. This is the most hated table Poor in. Table. Yeah. <laughs> what did that table ever do to anyone? Anyway, that's that's really it, to be honest. The, I, I don't know. The, the table just seemed like, take care of your furniture a little better, <laughs> Angron. Like, people pay him tributes because he's sort of a warlord in a way. Well, maybe pay him tributes in furniture. Like, give the guy a chair. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's got a chair. Give, give, his give, give, give him a cha- five chairs <laughs> yeah. for, his, for his buddies. <laughs> they don't have to be as nice as the one that he's got. You know. Exactly. <laughs> I kind of want to come back to the robot. <laughs> oh, let's let's talk about the robot. It's, yeah. just, it's just so amazing. <laughs> he gives him a little box to control it with. Like, it's, what do you think the controls on it are? I don't. There, there appeared to be a little joystick and, but, and a little dial. And all that ever seemed to be pressed though was just like the random little joystick in the top left corner. It's just like push forward, like, <laughs> robot, go, <laughs> do something. Yeah. But. Uh, I don't know what what why why is it a continually dropping <laughs> suit of armor that's super slow yeah it can't be killed with arrows that's the thing that's the whole spiel here like i'm going to build you a mechanical thing that moves more slowly than a human yeah but that is impervious to arrows however when faced with someone armed with a sword, yeah. as are all of its adversaries, <laughs> it is helpless. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're going back to my feelings on the Daleks a little bit. It's like, <laughs> it's like yeah, I guess to medieval people, that's a little... It's going to be creepy as fuck that there's this suit of armor that, you know, either looks like a very tall dude or, yeah. or looks unlike a person, like... We have to accept it looks like a really tall dude because yeah. the costuming was crap. But <laughs> like, if you imagine it was an amazingly built piece of armor, then that would be scary as fuck. And it's just walking towards you with like a big chop chop motion. And it's like, yeah, cool. I, I'm buying the fear that you might get from that. A hundred percent. But then you go, okay, I'll just walk around it in the amazing amount of time I've got because it's just carrying on forward. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, I've tripped it up and now it's just wiggling on its side. <laughs> 
It's like throwing the blanket over the dark all over again. <laughs> but there's also a very PG-13, very childish element to this show. So well, much, this yeah. serial specifically. So if you compare this to you recently watched The Green Death, for example, that's certainly less child-friendly than this one, right? Actually, people die. Yeah, people died. In this one, there's only one death, and it is the gnarly death of Mr. Lynx, who gets an arrow fired into his neck anus. Oh, so you're pretty much convinced he's gone. Well, he's in the ship when the whole thing blows up, and we get to see the completely oh, unrelated explosion footage. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, yeah, this I didn't quite get at the end, like... Who actually got caught in the explosion? It's just him, I think. Is it just him? What is? What was the footage that we saw? We're jumping <laughs> around a little bit. What was the footage that we saw? The ship is about to explode. He's in it. We've... If he's not dead, then he's unconscious in the ship. Yeah. So he absolutely is a goner in this serial. No, yeah, that's fair. What do we see explode? Because I thought it was a mine explosion. Miriam said, that's a mountain that it just exploded. I kind of saw Was there a, a castle? Oh, okay. It's very brief, and then it's just explosion. Like, it's okay. blatantly a miniature that they blew up. Oh, okay. I didn't even see the miniature. I just I saw... Like, um, I don't think it's a miniature of a castle. It's, yeah, it's just <laughs> some some random thing that they didn't need anymore. <laughs> film, film blowing that up. Okay. <laughs> like, they probably didn't even do it in a controlled way. It's just someone just went, boom. For a laugh. It's all right. It'll look fine in post. We don't do post? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, he's the only death. Everyone else survives. Oh. There are lots of, like, close calls. There is a referenced death. Uh, oh, really? The messenger. I can't remember the context, but Iron Gron does say that it can't have been that guy because he died in our dungeons. Ah, yes, yes, yes. Is that the son of the Lord next door? Was he the son? I, I think, think so. Oh. Because at one I've... point, the Lord know. is walking around and what's her face? Eleanor? Eleanor? That's what I've been saying. We can go with that. Eleanor. (laughs) Eleanor goes up to Reginald? (laughs) Edward. Edward. He's definitely Edward. (laughs) Goes, Ed, you need to stop worrying about your son. He'll be fine. I'm pretty sure she says something. Oh, really? And he's like, yeah, I know, but I always worry because he's a brat and he's spoiled. And I no, he doesn't say any of these things. But I, I feel like there's a reference to it being his son. He's certainly very concerned about it. Right. But it may also be because every single one of these castles is, it seems, populated by maybe a handful of people. <laughs> and if you lose one person, you are losing yeah. 20% of your population. <laughs> I like that they did try and reference that, at least, on the, the good castle. I, I can't remember actually what they said. but like, like, the, oh, king, the, the king has called for all the yeah, soldiers to go elsewhere so, to fight in the so war. So they've all gone to the king. So they are, I was going to say underhanded, that's not, understaffed. Yeah. But... Iron Gron has literally got, I think we, we maybe counted a 20? I mean, it's a it's max. A, it's a maximum max 20, 20, yeah. Like to, to go and siege another castle. <laughs> that siege, the, the very Monty Python esque siege. Yeah. <laughs> they run up to the castle walls with ladders that don't quite reach up. <laughs> it was pretty classic. I think I said that actually at the time. It's like Monty Python's comical take on, on this was more convincing. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The good castle, though, mm-hmm. did you give a shit? Oh, no. No. No, not at all. They just seemed like enablers, in a way. Like, I mean, all right, fine. Sarah Jane needs some muscle to accompany her on yeah. her raid. The good castle's going to provide that. Yeah. Nothing else was really needed. They provided a safe haven for the doctor to do his completely independent work. <laughs> you know, like they didn't have to collaborate. No. There was no collaboration, in fact. Yeah, I just... 
struggled to really feel how that was part of the story. <laughs> it's like this grand rivalry between Iron Gron and Edward. I don't, it's just like, it, no, no, I, did, I didn't I don't care. at don't all. Care. <laughs> at all. Okay, how did you feel about the most bodacious Venusian Aikido? I assume I know what you're talking about. I mean, just there are describe, so many. There are so many of them. Describe in your mind which is the most bodacious. Oh, the most bodacious one is when he and Sarah Jane are strolling just casually out of the bad guy's castle again. This is post pretending to be friars, and um, they encounter the same two chaps who had just been high fiving about about yeah. them and there's just this glorious scene of the doctor going like look, look at my hands like both of you look at my hands really closely just look at my hands can you see my hands fists <laughs> <laughs> there, it's fantastic it is amazing <laughs> but there are so many venusian aikido scenes in this i mean he venusian aikidos some chaps in a corridor i mean obviously we get corridor scenes is this the one where he pulls the guy towards him? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically, any time that Pertwee goes, Hi-ya! Yeah. that's Venusian Aikido, and it is freaking badass. <laughs> that one, I think it was it was caught up in the recap. I think it was right at the end of the episode or something, so we got to see it twice. Oh, really? And I think I... I oh, I yes, you're right. I think I literally blinked the first time round. I was just like, why are there two guards on the floor? Because <laughs> it was so quick. And the second time round, I watched it, and I was like, how has he got two guards on the floor? <laughs> He just grabs one of their hands and pulls him, and it's like they're both suddenly in a heap. It's like, yeah. wow, <laughs> that's some impressive Venusian Aikido. That's great. That's really good stuff. <laughs> like, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with him doing hand-to-hand combat, but I want it to be a little bit effective. <laughs> this serial was aired across 73, 74. So we are now in 1974. And, oh, okay. Which is weird, actually, because that means there was no Christmas episode. Like, one of these was effectively the Christmas episode, if that's the case. Were Christmas episodes, like, a big deal in these? We've only had classics? one... No, we, no, we've only had one Christmas episode so far. Okay. That was with Hartnell. There was an episode... Uh, one episode of the serial The Chase. Uh, it was called Feast of Stephen. And it's just, like, it's a parody episode all of a sudden. Like, in the middle of this otherwise serious serial, there's one comedy episode. Right. And that was the Christmas one. But, uh, no, aside from that, no, it's not at all a big thing. But one of these randomly would have been... I I mean, I'm, I'm only speculating, unless there was unless a break for December yeah. or something like that. But, um, no, I think we're now into 1974. And in 1974, there are so... I mean, in the 70s in general, that we have lots of cool debonair dudes on TV and in movies fighting. Right, yeah. so we have you know James Bond and the Saint and whatever. So the our man Flint, <laughs> right? Yeah. Lots of guys doing karate against like James Coburn is karate kicking everyone, and when he isn't doing that, then Roger Moore is kicking everyone on our side of the pond. So like this fits into that. It's understandable that William Hartnell didn't do that, and it's also kind of understandable that Tom Baker doesn't do it later. But this dude is the Saint, basically, of Time Lords. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, that was a really long shtick about how. Kicking is awesome in the 70s. Kicking is awesome. <laughs> in, the 70s, in the 70s. In the 70s. In the 70s. Oh, I have a question for you, actually. Oh, okay. Okay, so do you agree with the doctor's assessment that if links were to give rifles to medieval warriors, then mankind will have developed atomic weapons by the 17th century? Do I fuck? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I do. Like, I don't think... They'd be able to mass-produce those weapons No, very quickly. I mean, not even the rifles, they wouldn't be able to mass-produce them. No. Like, I think it's going to reshape, like, conquest for a while. Sure. They might become some legendary thing that is fought over and... Yeah. 
maybe... But sooner or later, they're going to run out of bullets. Yeah. I mean, they, they, maybe they can make use of those somehow. They'll they'll pile down some pebbles and make, make some more... <laughs> well, let's know, say but. that Iron is even clever enough to, before he runs out of bullets, get some other wizard and go, hi, can you try to reverse engineer this, please? Let's say he's that clever, even if that were the case. How are they going to get from rifles to splitting the atom? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's a, a, that's a pretty big leap. And I think it's a very shitty thing from a doctor's point of view, because we don't get atomic warfare from military action we get it from science. physics yeah. yeah science we get it through humans exploring the universe like through trying to crave for better understanding yeah and the byproduct unfortunately is weaponization yeah so to make this leap because they've got that weapon they'll get to a the, bigger weapon to the bigger weapon yeah i don't know it's, it's really crude and i don't he could have turned it around, by the way. He could have said, like, Lynx, if you give these guys in medieval times rifles, then they will have discovered penicillin by the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's maybe a fair point that they might have wiped themselves out, because... That's much more likely, yeah, I think. Yeah, because they won't have had society evolving at the same pace as the weapon technology. Yeah, exactly. But he doesn't. He just goes, they'll get atomic weapons. He doesn't even say why that's a bad thing. Like, it is a bad thing, but... He's not saying, like, we're going to destroy each other. Because if he was going to say that, he could have... I don't know. It's just a really weird line. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. It was just a not entirely thought through anti-war line. Yeah. I guess if we don't know what it was like in 73, 74, when... Oh, right. Yeah, you're still You're still remembering, you know, World War Two probably a lot of... Certainly. A lot of the people involved in the show, I'd imagine, have direct or indirect connection to it. And... I don't know. Have we got... We've Well, we've got Vietnam has just happened. The space race has just happened. I was literally just Googling Vietnam War to see... I mean, yeah, Maybe we're, Vietnam's we're, still happening, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We're at this point, approaching the end of it. 75 um, was the end of it. The Cold War is probably not quite starting yet, is it? I don't know. Maybe there's allusions to it and... But, you know, atomic weapons are around and there's a lot of... Well, we've seen hippie kind of allusions in Doctor Who already. Like, yeah. We know that that's the era that it is. There's the, an anti-war movement going on. I guess that's the context you have to yeah, exactly. place it in. And maybe so it's, maybe weapon, it's worth saying at that point. I don't know. Weapons but, are bad. Yeah. Weapons are bad and maybe maybe there'll be a further negative influence in, the terms of, in terms of weaponry. But it seems as though he's also insinuating that weapons are really bad, that we are going to get super clever really quickly and we're gonna invent yeah. so much technology that we didn't have before the other thing is why the fuck does he think links would care <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly <laughs> I, I didn't get that speech really directing it at him and but i quite like the links's responses i'm gonna shoot you in the face <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> how do you think i'm gonna respond to that well i'm gonna show you <laughs> yeah i like potato heads me too. They've, they've got a clear motivation and they stick to it. <laughs> then the Doc gets his wonderful fan defense. Oh, that super flimsy metal <laughs> fan. I mean, <laughs> he goes all the way to his TARDIS to retrieve it, then goes in yeah. and it is, I mean, it's destroyed by a slap. <laughs> it can withstand Sontaran lasers, but not a Sontaran slap. That does seem to be his method of fighting, isn't it? It's like a backhanded slap. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's a hug stance. Oh, the hug Sla- stance. Slap. <laughs> yeah, that fight scene was quite special. But I, he go, yeah, you're right. He goes back to the TARDIS. That's the best he could come up with 
in the entirety of this the problem situation that he's in like the only thing he comes up with is a fan that next time i get shot in the face i can protect stand still with this just point just hold it in front of my face because the sometime is not clever enough to aim at my knees There's nothing else that could he could use to to change the situation of the the warring medieval people or to convince Lynx to do something else. It's purely just metal fat. But it's also I mean rewinded approximately an hour and a half or something in their time. He's in the castle with Sarah Jane and she's like, we don't have a lot of time to prepare for this. How are we going to do this? Maybe we should coach some more people to help us in this raid. Maybe we should go into the forest and make weapons out of twigs or whatever, like cut down branches. Maybe you should prepare more of your stink bombs or something. He's like, no, 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 no. You stay here. I've got a much better idea. I'm going to leave you unprotected, go into the forest without backup. An hour and a half later, he returns. She doesn't know what it's about yet. (laughs) He likes to leave them hanging. Yeah. What does the TARDIS mean for the Doctor at these points? Like, in New Who, it's it's whatever they want it to be a lot of time. But it's established to have like so many rooms, so many gadgets he can whip out if he wants to. And is is that kind of the case? To a certain degree, yes. So yeah. th- there are. It, we didn't get to see it in this serial, and I don't know if you get to see it in the other two, the the prior two serials. So Dalek, Planet of the Daleks, and Green Death. But th- there are certainly, especially with. Hartnell, we get a lot of views of the interior and we get to see multiple rooms in there. I guess with Troughton, most of the times we get to see the inside of the TARDIS, it's just the console room. Hmm. But uh, but no, 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 there are multiple rooms in there. However, it's nowhere near as vast as it seems in, I guess, Matt Smith era, Doctor Who, for example. Yeah. I don't remember there ever being a line, like a reference to, oh, it's in the library or in the pool or anything like that in Classic Who so far. But aside from that... The main difference is that with Hartnell and with Troughton, perhaps perhaps also to a degree with Pertwee to date, it's a spaceship. Like, it's a spaceship slash time machine. Whereas in New Who, it's personified. It has, like, there's a relationship between yeah. the Doctor and the TARDIS. And here it's just, like, it's a gadget. You know, it's a machine. It's a mode of transport for him. He loves it, obviously, but he loves it the way that, you you know, you might love your car, I guess. Yeah, and you might give it a name. Yeah, exactly. But um, you know, people will probably react badly to that. Sorry, podcast land. But but I but I, I I mean I think that's how it's being presented most of the time. Yeah. So I I, I get to be the kind of um, dumb person. Go for it. For for many of these episodes, I'm sure. <laughs> that's fine. But is it like properly broken? Because there have been references over this serial and the previous one, I think, where that he was stuck on Earth. I don't know if they said specifically about stuck on Earth, but I I I've heard that he gets stuck on Earth. Yeah. For a so while. so, so that, is, is this still the not, end of that or? That is now over. Yeah. Uh, but that was, it wasn't that it was broken. It was that he was forcibly exiled to Earth oh. uh, by the Time Lords. They removed the dematerialization circuitry or whatever. Uh, and for the longest time, he's trying to steal the master circuits and plop it into his. But oh, they're, really? not, they're not completely compatible and so on. But, but yeah, no, so he was, he was forcibly exiled to Earth. So we got a, a whole season, maybe even more than a season, where he's just working with Eunice. Every episode takes place on, uh, almost every episode takes place on the Earth. And when it and when it doesn't take place on the Earth, it's not because he's able to travel somewhere. It's because the Time Lords basically allow him to get into the TARDIS and they take him somewhere. So, I see. So there's that sort of thing. He doesn't have control over it. So the I can't remember the exact name of the planet. Metabalas Five or whatever. Oh yeah, there's is, a reference to it. Is which was in. The Green Death. 
he he goes to some other planet. It's like a purple planet or whatever. And yeah, he's fighting some sort of crazy eagle or something. Yeah, he, he has a seriously fucked up trip to that planet <laughs> to get a blue crystal. Um, that kind of sounded like that was like that I, was quite a big thing for him to have gone there. Then, I think he. It. I think at that point he was already able to travel on his own i can't okay. remember when because yeah. that, that's referenced in this that yeah you're right the, the, the brigadier says like oh well i mean you at least you were able to get there on time or uh, something yeah. yeah i can't remember what he says but because that's the thing there, there are a lot of references in this well there's a two minute section where they reference yeah. the fact that the doc can't really go where he wants to go yeah and um, when he now goes to medieval times <laughs> for some year in the Middle Ages, he pats the TARDIS and goes, look, you got here exactly yeah. as I intended. <laughs> like almost surprised that it's working because it's still new, I guess. Yeah. It's quite but, recently that he was, oh, up until recently, he was not able to. But am I right in thinking that all the kind of ones prior to him getting locked down, yeah. the TARDIS always went where it was meant to go? Uh, is it is, is a new Ho trope that the TARDIS goes where it wants to go? Oh, that's a good question. He, no. Okay. So, so it, not necessarily because it's broken, but because he's not very good at oh, using right. okay. it. So there are, it, it's, it's often a case of like, oh, he goes somewhere and then it's like, oh, let's look outside and see where we are. Because he's just dematerialized, rematerialized. Right. And he doesn't seem to be very much in control of like external forces, external factors that affect traveling through the time vortex. Because sometimes it's just, or very often, it's just like, we've been pulled off course. Uh-huh. Well, surely you can just correct for that. You have a driving license, right? <laughs> but he doesn't, and he can't. So Okay. Yeah, I don't know well, if I, I just answered your question. but Yeah, I know what to expect in the future. It's not really broken, but he's not perfectly in control. Pertwee seems yeah. more in control than Hartnell and Troughton were. Okay. So it does. It kind of fits with New Who. I don't think New Who probably actually goes any lengths to explain what the hell. No, not really. They just kind of I mean, change Matt, it when Matt they Smith want. can't really pinpoint times. He's constantly late whenever he goes somewhere. Yeah. Or at least often is late well, they, getting somewhere. And they don't go to Space Rio or whatever. Oh, yeah, exactly. He, yeah, you're right. They want to go somewhere and end up somewhere completely different. Well, I'm not sure if that's just because other things keep it getting in the way, but yeah, I, I feel like a lot of time they mean to go there and they don't. There's that, but then also in the, the thing about like in New Who, the TARDIS being kind of personified and having a yeah. will of its own or her own, that often the explanation is just, well, the TARDIS takes him where he needs to be. Whereas in, at least to date, in Classic Who, that's, n- as in where we are in Classic Who, yeah. that's not been the case. Like if he goes somewhere, it's not because the, t- the TARDIS is a machine. The TARDIS doesn't decide where he goes. It's just either he doesn't know how to maneuver it or something else is forcing him, of course. So with my newfound knowledge okay. that he was exiled yeah. to being stuck on the Earth. Uh-huh. But I've got to flip it around actually and ask you the question. Okay. So he says at one point, I'm just a Taurus. I like it here. Do you think that's referencing the fact that it's an exile? He he was exiled here, or is it, is it just he does like? I think. I mean, uh, yeah, I think he likes the Earth. I think the Earth is kind of his. It's more his home than Gallifrey ever was. He's but, a bit too rebellious for the Time Lords, but when he's on Earth, he's you know, it's like uh, I was a nobody on Gallifrey, but when I get to Planet of Nobodies, I'm a somebody. You know, <laughs> it's it's maybe there's an element of that. Yeah, big fish, small pond. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He can actually make a difference on Earth, and he really likes humans. And he's probably a little bit superficial. He wants to be around people that look exactly like him. So, yeah. So the tourist reference. Do you think that was just a bit of a throwaway, or I think so. Yeah, I think that's just a well. I mean, I'm an alien. You're an alien. We we know we know that we don't belong here. I'm visiting, but yeah, yeah. 
Okie dokie. He's like an expat. <laughs> <laughs> he, he likes the culture, but he still wants to go down the Gallifrey pub. Exactly. Uh, by the way, first serial to mention Gallifrey. Seriously? Yeah. Wow. I did not realize this. I thought that it had been mentioned before, but according to Todd's Wiki, this, it, it has not. And it was originally scripted as Gallifrey. Wow. Yeah. And then it was changed to Gallifrey. So that's pretty, that's another first. He's established as a Time Lord, presumably. Yeah. But Time Lord has definitely been mentioned. Never named. I thought that we had heard Gallifrey before. I mean, if if we have, then Todd's Wiki is wrong about this. And my <gasps> memory is only half right. <laughs> Shall we rate this thing? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Okay, I'll be super brief. I mean, we've already discussed this in depth. I don't remember what we gave the previous episodes. So in a way, just because we've had a, whatever it is, like a six month break of Classic Who or something, it's almost a little bit of a tabula rasa for me, which is quite nice. (laughs) So this may not tally with scores I've given prior serials. At this moment in time, I feel the following. Plot wise, this serial makes no sense whatsoever. (laughs) I mean, it's just a cake of stupid four episodes worth of it and there are some elements of it that even production wise that really some poor production elements that are very charming like the chandelier scene or you know the wobbly walls or those little weird cubicles etc but then there are also really weird production poor production qualities like the abrupt cutting of every episode yeah all four episodes just end super abruptly like almost mid shot <laughs> So stuff like that maybe draws it down a little bit. There are both positive and negative things to say about the new companion, but I'm going to say I'm probably more in favor of the plus column. I find that she does a fantastic job. I'm very happy to have Sarah Jane on board. Rubish was amazing as a secondary companion, and I hope that he returns, but I fear that he won't. For comedic value, this serial has a lot going for it. Much of what it doesn't have going for it in the sci-fi column, it does in terms of slapstick and just hilarious acting. Overall, I think it's a very rewatchable episode or serial. I would happily watch this again. And as the first Sarah Jane, first Sontaran, first with a new title sequence, which is beautiful, by the way, and... I don't know if it's true, but it seemed, at the time, seemed very reminiscent of the Tom Baker sequence. First pseudo-historical with Pertwee. First, just firsts. Re- I really enjoyed this. So I'm going to give this a, oh, blurg, I'm giving it a straight 3.0. Okay. I was super worried for a minute you were going to go really high. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm quite struggling with this. I don't, I don't really know. What, like, we talked about a lot of stuff, so it's it's mostly already been covered, but it's very comedic in places yeah which i don't know if i warm too much to that like (laughs) it's it's fine if it's like written into the the scene well and but like the the punching of the guards where it's literally (laughs) there's nothing in my hands there's nothing in my sleeves oh no these fists you know like exactly as you described earlier i love that (laughs) you love that i I don't think i'm in the same camp I, i think especially with the weird camera angle they had for it it's like shot from a tree like two miles away and like I, I'm not even sure if there's sound, and, and it's just like, what what was going on at that point? The plot is just all over the shop. They've tried to make sci-fi into medieval, but I think it's actually quite a hard thing to do. I think loads of people have tried. They, people like medieval, people like sci-fi. They think, ah, just put, put the two together, it'll be brilliant. Like, it never is. <laughs> it's like, there's a reason why people don't do this very often. I had a number floating around my head. Okay. I, I kind of want to push it lower because 
I'm not sure if I do want to watch this serial again. Um, but, you know, it was entertaining. Right. There were some good actors in this. They enjoyed those roles. They really did. They, they gave it their all. So I'm, I'm sticking with the number I had, which was another point zero. Oh, no. Is it a 2.0? But it's a 2.0. Oh, man. Wow. A whole point lower. Wow. Yeah. Final question before we go into listener minis. How would you compare this to other Sontaran episodes that you've seen? Like, is this, if you view this as an episode, is this in your... I don't know how many Sontaran episodes we've seen, but like... Like, is this better or worse than the uh, teleporter Facebook guy? I'm struggling to remember that one that clearly. I, I can't remember actually how, he has how car, the Sontarans... He has of... cars, and the Sontarans have put a device in the cars that drives them yeah. for people, and then there's gas that comes out of them. I'm not convinced that's a particularly great episode with them in it. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> <laughs> like, either the episode or their place in it. Yeah. But I super love Strax in the, the latest stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've we've just encountered him in, yeah, our, in our recap of New Who. Yeah, that's true. And I'm pretty sure every episode he he's in is pretty awesome. Like the episode itself may not be, like, but he's gold. But he's always gold. Yeah, that's true. I think he they nailed what it is to be a Sundaran. Did I say that right? Yeah. Oh, well done. <laughs> um, <laughs> in the universe that they wanted it to to be in, and it and it to have a lot of um, heart and comedy with it as well, which yeah. I think is quite incredible. So. I like I like links though as well. I think I think he's 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 established what they are and he's done it well. So this chap, by the way, is coming back in another Suntaran episode. I, I I didn't make a note of what it's called, but he's he's showing up in another Suntaran episode in Classic Who. I am glad of that. Tongue tongue looking aside right at the start. Um, oh, super <laughs> awkward tongue. Uh, yeah, shots. I'm not quite sure why they had that right <laughs> after he takes his helmet off for the first time. But um, the rest of it, yeah, I thought he was really good. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okie dokie. We just had a look at our inbox, and we received not one, not two, not three, but ten listener minis for this one. Ten minis. <laughs> and they're all, it, it, we took a break in recording to, to read them. They're fantastic. They're awesome. It, it pains us to have to say this, because very clearly, it, you guys have really, you've spent time and, and you've, you've crafted these beautiful minis. But the, as there are ten of them, and as we've already been going on for quite a while, we've picked some of our favorite bits of them. And we're going to read those out instead. But if you have been looking for a reason to go to whobackwhen.com, Look no further. Go there right now and read these listener minis in their full splendor. Or wait until we've given a little summary first. Oh, yeah. There's that you as know. well. Yeah. <laughs> first out of the gate is... Paul Forber. Hello, Paul. He says lots of things. We're going to take this little nugget here, though. All right. Let's hear it. So Paul says, The Time Warrior both used time as a plot point and in many ways served as a pivotal turning point in Doctor Who history. Mm-mm. Interesting stuff. Producer Barry Lutz had denied John Pertwee's requested raise and was considering replacing the Doctor. When a new Doctor joined new companion Sarah Jane Smith, Lutz thought they might need a second new companion, and actor Jeremy Bullock's character, Hal the Archer, was being considered. This, is, this could have potentially have been a very different show. Indeed. That's and really it, super interesting. And that is shown to be a bit mean, though, because he's left watching them disappear at the end. I know. Hal the Archer. Yeah, along with his potential career. (laughs) (laughs) 
Bing bong, future Leon here, with uh, an embarrassing admission. It didn't dawn on us until after we had stopped recording this episode that we've actually encountered Jeremy Bullock on Who Back When Before. He played Tor in the Space Museum. That was a, a William Hartnell First Doctor serial. Not the thing Jeremy Bullock is most famous for, however. <laughs> His name did seem a little familiar, so looking him up on IMDb revealed that he's none other than Boba Fett himself. So, uh... Uh, maybe I was a little wrong. Maybe this wasn't the end of his career and the chap has a few nerd creds to his name after all. <laughs> Okie dokie. Yeah, back to the show. Bing bong. Going the dematerializing the... dot is... Yeah, is pr- <laughs> proverbial time plug hole. <laughs> exactly. Bing bong. Nope. Boba Fett. Bing bong. Thank you very much, Paul. Ladies and gents, read his full review on whobackwhen.com and you can follow Paul on Twitter as well. He is at WordsmithPaul. Next Paul. up, David E. E. boy <laughs> What does David E. have to say then? David says, um, All the cast are fantastic. Pertwee is cracking jokes left, right and centre. David Dacre is brilliant as the bellowing Iron Gron. Yes, he is. Jeremy Bullock is a good stoic straight man. Kevin Lindsay is so menacing as Lynx. And, well, nothing compares to Liz Sladen as Sarah Jane Smith. And David gives this a rating. We should say Paul did not give this a rating at all. David has, though. And it is, What, Jim? It appears to be the number five. Is this? Are a- we convinced it's out of five? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it is out of five. <laughs> David appears to love this. Oh, well done, Dave. Uh, David has a huge heart. Next up, we have Peter Zunich. Hi, Hello. Peter. Hello, Peter. Peter's review. The little nugget we've got here is, it's not an amazing story. Agreed. It doesn't have to be. It's fine. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> But it is a story I watch over and over and enjoy every time. Something Leon yeah. can agree with? Yeah, 100%. Finally, I agree with its moral lesson. Any alien that tries to tell me to change my method of reproduction deserves an arrow to the probic <laughs> vent. <laughs> yeah, that's probably fair. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Peter's given us a rating. Do you want to read this out? Sure. Peter has uh, rated this 3.8 out of 5. Awesome stuff. Ladies and gents, I'm going to give Peter a little plug as well. Please go to whobackwhen.com and don't just read his mini-review in full. Go to the Who Back When blog where you can read Peter's articles. He reviews fan audio productions. Does he now? Yes, he does, Peter. The, if you haven't been listening, there, there may be something very interesting coming <laughs> in the Who Back When feed very, very soon, which you might want to review. Might want <laughs> <laughs> Name must review. Maybe we should tell him not to. Uh, well. <laughs> no, no. Uh, we hope you'll like it, Peter. Thank you so much. Next up, we it's Michael, Michael Ridgway. 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 <laughs> Hello, Michael. Well, first time doing that. I think that worked. Oh, nice one. Yeah. <laughs> What's Michael up to? He's saying Game of Thrones meets Mr. Potato Head. Oh, spot on. <laughs> So, so should I should I pick the thing one the one thing that he liked that we're going to say? Sure, yeah. There, there were, I believe, three likes and dislikes. I think uh, so. Something yeah. like that. He liked Iron Gron. <laughs> he totally steals the show. His bottomless repertoire of insults at Toad Face Lynx and the Doctor with the mighty nose had me laughing milk through my mighty nose. <laughs> <laughs> Lynx's seething irritation at Iron Gron was great viewing. <laughs> Michael has also included a list of beliefs. <laughs> Here's one of our faves. Lynx, I have to agree with Irongron, your robotic soldier is indeed rubbish. <laughs> Not rubbish, rubbish. 
He's also included observations. Yeah, he did have some observations, and we um, we quite like this little nugget. Mm-hmm. So all the servants um, blew up. True. <laughs> <laughs> They're still Which, in the kitchen. This is what I was questioning. Like, who actually died in this, this massive explosion? Yeah. No, no. It's t- I don't it's think everyone escaped this. No, no, no. It's not... <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. The yeah. kitchen is still full of people. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not anymore. Or, and, and the people up on the whatever you call it, like the the archers uh, on the in the turrets that are all drugged and sleeping. Yeah, we didn't right. get onto how weird that drug is. That it knocks you out, but then you can be roused quite quickly, and you're on your feet, legging it out the castle. Sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Michael gives this a rating of three point three out of five racist insults a minute from Iron Granta Links. Nice one. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Next one is Stephen. Steven, 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 S Gamer himself. Steven says, hello, Steven. Steven does not say that. I say, hello, Steven. <laughs> I also say, hello, Steven. <laughs> and occasionally, hello, Sailor. Yeah, long time no see, Steven. Uh, Steven says, it introduces us to Sarah Jane Smith, regarded by some as the Doctor Who companion. Right from the start, you can see that Sarah Jane is a very different creature from Joe Grant. From moment one, she's proactive, competent, and unwilling to take anything from anyone as she helps the Doctor fight Lynx and his magic cigarettes. <laughs> Stephen continues with some other points. On the other hand, it's one of the few older stories that feature time travel as something more than a way to put the Doctor where we want him. And it's actually a plot element in the rescue of the missing scientist. Agreed. And I mean, Paul hinted at this as well. This is something that we've talked about on Who Back When before. And it's oh, it's wonderful that a show that is about time travel actually uses time travel for something other than just the, you know, the, the mode of transport to the location. Yeah. Something happens like it's no, it's it's super, super good. Stephen concludes, with all this in mind, I give the Time Warrior a 3.9 out of 5. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. Uh, Thank Uh, you so much. Thank you, Stephen. I am so out of sync with (laughs) everyone in this. I, I hope you enjoyed listening to my ramblings about this. Oh, I'm sure they did. The, the rating is purely just new to this this era of, of Doctor Who, I'm sure. You don't need to explain yourself. That's fine. <laughs> Ladies and gents of Podcast Land, if you happen to not be Stephen, you can follow Stephen on Twitter. He is at sgamer82. Thank you so much, Stephen. Next no, up. We've got uh, Matthew Dennison. No, no, no. Matthew Dennison. Oh, no, no. Matthew Dennison. <laughs> Classic. Hello, Matthew. Matthew says, Lynx is a fantastic creation, both well-played and well-written, and he, or it, comes across as a genuinely powerful physical threat. The story is played 100% straight and never feels like a comedy. Disagree. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite sure we watched the same serial, Matthew. But the interplay between Lynx and Iron is hilarious. Agree. As is that between the Doctor and Rubish. Also. And Matthew concludes, still, it's a story that I could happily watch again, and I'll go for a 3.7. Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Thank you so much, Matthew. Next up, Carrie Smith. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Carrie says the following, among other things. The dialogue is great, with lines like, yours is a towering intellect, delivered deadpan. The extras such as Rubish and Bloodaxe are well-developed and well-acted. The costumes are great and the set's well done. The little cubicles for the scientists the Brigadier is so proud of are hilariously flimsy-looking and, for once, probably on purpose. I'm not so convinced, but hey. (laughs) 
Carrie continues, the plot itself is not as strong as the sets, costumes, and actors, but it is perfectly fine, and all the other great things about this story make it a... Oh my goodness. (laughs) (laughs) 4.8. What did you give it again, Jim? Remind us. What was that again? If you take that number and halve it... (laughs) And then subtract some more. (laughs) And then take another 0.4 off. That's it, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Carrie, awesome stuff. Please, ladies and gents, follow her on Twitter. Carrie Smith can be found at Nerdy Shelties. Thanks, Carrie. Thanks, Carrie. Next up, we have Trenton Bliss. Hello, Trenton. Hi, Trenton. Trenton has tons of good stuff to say. Among other things, he starts off with... I'd like to talk title sequences real quick. Season 11 saw the end of the Howl Around title sequences and the start of the iconic Slit Scan title sequences. The title sequence used in Season 11 was much more like a bad prototype of the Tom Baker titles used starting in Season 12, but it's still all right for a prototype. The reason I'm reading this particular paragraph, ladies and gents, is to plug Trenton Bless's YouTube channel. You can find him on YouTube as WrestleMania489, and you'll want to because he's got tons, tons of Doctor Who intro sequences there. Trenton goes on. He does. He says, I really like this serial mainly because it captures the Sontarans best. Lynx looks good, is acted well, and is threatening. No Sontaran story can rival this one. And I believe this one wins the battle, especially since the new series has made the Sontarans an absolute joke. For the glory of the Sontaran Empire, this story receives a 4.3 out of 5 Sontaha! <laughs> Thank you very much, Trenton. Uh, Ladies and gents, you can follow Trenton on Twitter as well. He is at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two S's. And you should also read his stuff on the Who Back When blog. Top lists and, very soon, product reviews. Next up, Thomas Meehan. Hello, Thomas. Hey, Thomas. Thomas says, The Time Warrior. What an enjoyable serial. Especially with the introduction of Sarah Jane Smith. My favorite companion ever. All caps. (laughs) (laughs) And he uh, continues... The Sontarans return in the Sontaran experiment and the invasion of time. Uh, Fourth Doctor. And the two Doctors, sixth and second Doctor. And the two-parter, the Sontaran stratagem slash the Poison Sky, which we've already reviewed with uh, the tenth Doctor. It's the tenant one that we talked about before. Ah, that's what it's called. Mm. Good. And he gives this a three out of five, which I think is an excellent rating to end on. (laughs) I thought you might think. Thank you very much, Thomas Meehan. Thank you, everyone. Everyone who has sent in stuff for this. So sorry that we're not reading them out in full, but, you know, it would we'd be here another hour. <laughs> Leon would break. I, 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 I would. Too much cider. So please do yourselves a favor. Go to whobackone.com, click on this episode link, and read those reviews, and comment, and high-five these people, because they have earned it. And they've waited a long time, some yes, of them. They, yes, they have. Thank you so much, guys. It's been six months. Hope you're still listening, by the way. If you are, then cheers. How did you feel about your first uh, classic Doctor Who review? I loved it. Yeah? Does yeah. that mean that you're coming back for more? Definitely. Oh, nice! Even though I'm not in sync with your audience. (laughs) In terms of ratings? Yeah. (laughs) And the voice that says, no, you don't get to be a first and get to be uh, waved through as a massive, amazing episode. (laughs) You have to earn it. (laughs) This is going to be fantastic. I've just looked up what the next serial is. Do you know what the next serial is? I actually don't. I didn't know until now, but I'm so excited to say Invasion. Of the dinosaurs. Oh my god. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> we, we actually have a mini audience here at the moment, and all four brains just exploded. 
Oh, this is fantastic. Wow. And it fits really well. I recently watched Jurassic World 2. So I'm assuming that they're going to be on par. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> that's not the next one that's dropping, though. Next episode dropping is an audiobook review, The Cannibalists. It's already in the can, so please don't send us more reviews. <laughs> 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 After which, we've already said this, we will be dropping all four episodes of our magnificent audiobook, our very own Who Back When branded audiobook. We're going to be dropping them in two installments, so episodes one and two are dropping on one day, and then a couple of days later, or a few days later, episodes three and four. So, uh, oh my goodness, stay tuned for that. This is going to be super exciting. After that, however, we've got New Who and Classic. So in the New Who camp... It is Night Terrors. After which, yeah, Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Wow. Oh my god. Oh, so exciting. And at some point, probably a bonus episode with some bloopers from our audiobook recording. No, there are no bloopers from the audiobook recording. Absolutely none. Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not on Twitter. I'm not. Excellent. Uh, (laughs) You dodged a bullet there. Ladies and gents, if you want to get in touch with Jim, uh, however, you can. You can email whobackwhen at gmail.com and all such emails will be forwarded to Jim for his reading pleasure. And I will take pleasure in that reading. Uh, I'm sure you will. (laughs) Oh, God, podcast line. You should have seen the look on his face when he just said that. You can high-five me online. I'll high-five you right back. I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Thank you so much for listening. You've been a wonderful audience. Rock on and cha-chao. See ya. Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit. Listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha-chao! Who back when?